Well, good morning. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I'd love to meet you at some point. I'll be in the lobby after the service, or uh, you could join us for Discover Highlands as well. Uh, today, we're starting a new series on the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the history of the early church. It's, uh, it tells the story of what happened after Jesus was resurrected. And it answers the question, how did the message of Jesus go from Jerusalem with just this small group of uh, obscure Jewish people to being this phenomenon that spread throughout the whole Roman world. The story begins in Jerusalem, but it ends in Rome answering the question, what happened? How did this news spread? What happened? That's what the book of Acts is about. And here is the point of the book of Acts. This is the whole thing that God's mission in the world is to send and save. God's mission in the world is to send and save. The Father has sent Jesus to the earth. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the church. And Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth so that all nations, all the peoples of the earth might come to trust in Jesus and be saved. God's mission in the world is to send and save. Let me show you two key verses uh, that uh, show where we get that. Acts chapter one, verse eight. You, You just heard this one read. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter four, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to which people, given to people by which we must be saved. God's mission is to send and save. And so here's the overview of the book, the the outline of the book, if you're into this kind of thing. Uh, Chapter one, verse eight said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's the pattern that the book follows. Chapters one through seven show what's happening in Jerusalem after Jesus has ascended to the Father. Chapters eight through 12 talk about what's happening and how the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 through 28, look at the ends of the earth, the ends of the Roman world, and it eventually gets to Rome. And so that's what the book of Acts is. Why should you care about it? Why are we talking about it? Well, the reason that we are going to spend this year looking at the book of Acts is because the, uh, the book of Acts is like a renewal document for the church. By that, I mean, it's a book that in every generation is designed to help the church awaken to the mission of God in the world. Have you ever felt your heart shrink? By that I mean, have you ever felt your heart care less about the things of God and care less about people around you? Have you ever felt that? I think all of us are prone for our hearts to shrink. And the reason is because our eyes drift down away from the things of God to the things of earth. And our lives drift in, away from you to me. 
And as our eyes drift down and our lives drift in, our hearts shrink. The book of Acts is designed like to treat us like the Grinch and to make our hearts grow three sizes. That's the, the point of this book. We want to be a church with a missionary heart and the book of Acts is designed to help our hearts grow because we're prone to shrink. But as our hearts grow, then we will begin to participate with God on his mission to send and save. That's why we're looking at this book. As we start a new season together as a church, as we try to cultivate a community of exiles here, we want to be exiles who are sent, who go with God to the ends of the earth so that the world can come to know that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given by which we can be saved. That name is Jesus. That's the point of the book of Acts. Along the way, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Lots of different topics come up from this book. But the overall point is for our hearts to grow. And for our hearts to beat for the things that God's heart beats for. So, let's jump in. Acts chapter 1 is where we'll be today. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, um, Acts chapter 1, there's a Bible provided for you there in the seat. And you can find this on page 966 if you would like to follow along with that Bible. The book's message and this key verse, chapter one, verse eight, about you're gonna be my witnesses in all the earth. This statement that Jesus makes is introduced by a question that the disciples ask. And this question that the disciples ask is a question that you and I also ask. Now, we've never used the same words that they used to ask this question. But the desire underneath the question that they are asking is the same desire that you and I live with every single day. And the question that they're asking is a question that we also ask. Here's their question. Chapter one, verse six. So when they had come together... They asked him, that's Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now, you have never said that before. But the desire underneath this question is one that you live with. See, when they ask about the kingdom, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? In their mind, the kingdom is the place where everything's right. It's the place where the Messiah reigns on the throne of David and justice fills the whole earth. It's the place where all nations come to worship the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they learn to walk in obedience to him. That's what the kingdom is for them. So, by asking this question, they're asking, Jesus, are you about to reign and establish justice on the earth? Is Israel going to experience life in the kingdom now? Are you about to make things right? And underneath that question is a desire that we all share. And the, de the, the desire is this, that we want the world to be made right. 
We want the world to be made right. We feel the fact that things in this world are not the way that they should be. And we want that to be fixed. We want a world of peace, not violence. We want a world of love, not hate. We want a world of health, not sickness, of prosperity, not poverty, of integrity, not corruption, of freedom, not oppression, of happiness, not depression. We want a clean environment, not a polluted environment. We long for the world to be made right. Now, that list of things, the peace, not violence, that may just be a slogan for the United Nations or someone until you experience one of those things in your own life. We want peace, not violence. That may just seem like some slogan somewhere by some world relief organization or some politician until you experience violence in your life. The idea of health, not sickness, of wanting a world where disease is eradicated. That may just be a slogan until someone that you love is diagnosed with something. And then in those moments where the brokenness of the world starts to be felt in a real way in our own lives, we ask this question. The question is, when will things be made right? When will the world change? When will these things be fixed? And that's the question that the disciples are asking. You've never used the same words, but you've felt the same thing. And in their question, there's something interesting going on. Two things, actually. First is the word that they use. They say, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? The word restore means to heal. It's to change from being in a broken situation to being good again. It assumes that at one time something was good and then it broke and now we need to fix it. That's what the word restored means. And so they are saying, at one time, the kingdom came to Israel. David was here and things were good and Solomon was here and there was lots of peace and health and prosperity and integrity. But the kingdom of Israel had, has fallen from its place of glory. And so they're asking for its restoration. Are you going to make the kingdom come to Israel again? Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel. But ultimately what they are hoping for by using the word kingdom is something more than was ever realized by David or Solomon. 
ultimately what they are longing for, what they want, is for the whole world to be restored. Not to the times of David and Solomon, but to something long before that. Ultimately, what they want is the, for the world to be restored to God's original design. When God was reigning, when God was working with mankind to cultivate a good society, that's ultimately what they're longing for. See, the Bible ultimately teaches that our longing for justice is a longing for restoration. The reason that we can look around and and think things aren't right is because in the fabric of our world are like the trimmers of something that existed long ago. And in the fabric of our very being is our designer, the one who made the world to be a certain way. And so to long for justice is not just to hope for something new to happen, but to long for justice is to long for restoration, to long for what was that has fallen to be healed, to long for what was that's now broken to be restored. That's the longing for justice. It's a longing for restoration. The Bible tells the story like this, that in the beginning, God created a good world. And the reason is because he is good. And in that world, he created mankind to cultivate a society that would be good. A society that would be known for peace and love and health and prosperity and integrity and freedom and happiness and a clean environment. But the world has fallen from that. And the reason that the world has fallen is because we have turned our own way. We have pursued a vision for the world that seeks to build this kind of kingdom without the king. We want all of the blessings of this kingdom, but we don't want the king. And because of that, the world has fallen from its place of glory. It's fallen from its design and it needs to be restored. Every time we sin, sin is what we call it when we try to do our own thing rather than God's thing. Anytime we sin, we are killing something good that God intended. That's what sin does. Sin brings death. God brings life. We sin and kill stuff. And our world needs restoration. And this gives us context for the problem our world is facing and what the solution is. For justice to come to the earth, we need to be restored to God's design. We need God's kingdom to come again. In our world, progress is often defined as moving away from the things of God. In reality, 
progress, moving towards justice, towards restoration, is moving toward the things of God, submitting to the things of God. And this is what our world needs. The problem is it's in all of us. Even though we recognize the brokenness of the world, it's in all of us not to seek God and not to seek his kingdom to come. It's in all of us to long for the blessings of the kingdom without the king. And so consequently, no one seeks God, not even one of us. And so if our problem is we've fallen from God's original design and we need God's kingdom to come, but none of us seek God's kingdom on our own, none of us pursue God on our own, then what hope is there for our world? And that is the story of the Bible. The answer is that because no one seeks God, and yet the only solution is God and his kingdom, because no one seeks him, God is on a mission to send and save. And so he has sent the kingdom to us in his son, Jesus. And this is the reason Jesus came to bring about this restoration. And that's the second thing that we should notice about the disciples' question in verse six, is they say, Lord, are you at this time restoring the kingdom to Israel? Who do they believe can bring about the kingdom? Who do they believe can restore the world? Who do they believe can bring about justice? The answer is, what's always the answer in church? Jesus is who they believe can do that. Why do they believe that Jesus is the one who will bring about this restoration? The reason is because they didn't show up and this is their first time that they're meeting him. Just before they ask this question, Luke begins the book of Acts by referencing the first book he wrote. Look at verse one. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, the book of Acts is a sequel. It comes as part two of the gospel of Luke. And so the disciples who are asking this question, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? They've been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. And they were there when Jesus did all the stuff and taught all the stuff. They lived it. And so they've come to the conclusion that Jesus is the one who will bring about the kingdom because of what they've witnessed Jesus do and teach. And you can also be a witness of what Jesus has done and taught by reading the gospel of Luke. That's why Luke wrote it. And so Luke tells us that Jesus did some stuff and taught some stuff and that has led these followers, the disciples in Jerusalem, to believe that Jesus is going to be the one who brings about the kingdom. So what is the stuff that Jesus was doing and teaching that led them to believe he's the one who will restore? 
the kingdom. Let's talk about that. What are things that Jesus did and taught in the Gospel of Luke? Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is on the screen for you. This is Jesus speaking. He's quoting from Isaiah 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me. This is God's mission. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is Jesus saying here? Now we could get into the, you could, it's a deep well that we could dive into on this verse. But here's the bottom line. He's come to restore some stuff. There's some stuff that's not the way it should be. And Jesus is here to fix it. And the spirit of the Lord is on him and has sent him for this purpose. God's mission is to send and save. Jesus is the one who's come to do that. He's bringing about the kingdom of God. He's coming to set right what's broken. He's coming to restore. That was Jesus's self-consciousness about his mission. That's why, that's what he understood that he was on the earth to do, was fulfill the purpose that God had sent him for, which is to restore stuff. After he says that, he immediately starts to do some restoring. He heals some people who had been sick. Why is he doing that? Because in God's kingdom, in his vision, in his design for the world, people aren't sick. And so Jesus is coming to restore. Then after he heals, he drives demons out of this man. Why is he doing that? Because in God's kingdom, in his vision, in his design, the powers of darkness don't belong. So Jesus is driving them out. And the people enjoy it so much that they ask him to stay in the city. Because they realize there's a lot of brokenness here that this guy can seem to fix. So let's keep him here. But here's what Jesus said, Luke 4, 43. But he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. God's mission is to send and save. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom, to bring God's design, to bring God's restoration plan to the earth. And so that's his work. That's what he does throughout the gospels. He's doing stuff that restores the world to God's design. He's bringing God's kingdom. That's his work. That's the stuff he began to do. What did he teach? He said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. What, what was his teaching? He taught a lot of stuff. Here's just some quotes from the gospel of Luke. He said, love your enemies. He said, be generous and guard against greed. He said, don't fear. He said, if you want to be great, become a servant. He said, be hospitable to people that can't pay you back. He said, repent of your sins. He said, seek forgiveness. That was his teaching. Why would he teach that stuff? Love your enemies. 
Why would someone who has come to bring about God's kingdom on the earth, to restore the earth, why would he teach that? Maybe because one of the basic problems in the world is that we don't do that. Instead, we create division and we look down on the people who are not like us. Jesus says, love your enemies. The people who are not like you and even the people who don't like you, love them. Why would Jesus say to be generous and to give and to guard against greed. Maybe because one of the problems facing our world, one of the reasons that our world is broken and has fallen is because of greed. I want more for myself. The belief that life will be better if I have more then I'll be able to sit back and relax. Then I'll be able to have security. Then I won't have to fear the future. If I just have more, Jesus says, guard against that and instead be generous. Jesus says, don't fear. Speaking in the context of people who can hurt you in this world. Don't fear. Why is Jesus doing all of that? Because he's come to restore the earth. He's come to bring God's kingdom. And his work and his teaching culminate in his death on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead. Ultimately, the kingdom of God and its restorative power comes through his death and resurrection. This is why, why while he was on the earth, he said, it is necessary for the son of man to suffer and be rejected and be killed. And on the third day, rise. Why is that necessary? Because he was sent for this purpose to bring the kingdom of God, to restore the earth. And so his work to restore ultimately culminates in his death on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead. And on the cross, Jesus embodies what he taught. Jesus was not just a preacher with a big mouth who couldn't actually do any of the stuff he was saying to do, but he practiced what he preached. On the cross, Jesus embodies the command to love your enemies. On the cross, Jesus embodies the command to be generous with your resources and to guard against greed. Because rather than take a inventory of heaven and all of his wealth, he left it and he made himself nothing. Jesus embodies the command, don't fear. We have a savior who has courage to endure the violence of man for the sake of bringing about the kingdom of God. We have a savior who embodies the command, if you want to be great, become a servant. We have a savior who embodies the command to be hospitable to people who could never pay him back. And by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, he is making it possible for strangers to be welcomed into the house of God. And in his death and resurrection, he's embodying all of his teaching so that 
repentance and forgiveness of sins would be possible for the whole world. And this is why after his resurrection, so he says, I wrote the first narrative, uh, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's verse one. Verse two, until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Right here in verses one through three, Luke is just summarizing Luke chapter 24 for us. And in Luke 24, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, here's what he says to his followers. Luke 24, verse 46. He also said to them, this is what is written, talking about the Old Testament. He's about to summarize the Old Testament. He says, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And here's what's gonna happen, verse 47. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. What is Jesus doing there? All along, he's been about the kingdom of God. He's bringing the kingdom of God. He's come to restore. And now he says, here's what's available through my death and resurrection. People can be restored to God himself now. Repentance, that is changing your mind about your sin. Repentance and forgiveness can be proclaimed in my name to all peoples of the earth, he says. And in that proclamation, the kingdom of God actually comes. Now, think about that for just a minute. Before we can just long for the kingdom of God for God's restoration to come and fix what's broken all around us out in the world. What we need is for God's kingdom to come to our heart. We need God's restoration power here. Do you believe that? Have you come to see yourself not primarily as an agent of change in the world, first and foremost, but first and foremost, as part of what's wrong with the world? Jesus has come so that you don't have to beat yourself up about that, but so that you can repent and be forgiven for that. And so Jesus came, we could summarize what he's doing on the earth the way the apostle Paul summarizes it in Colossians chapter one, verse 13. He, that's God the father, has rescued us from the domain of darkness. That is the place where evil and suffering rule. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring 
the kingdom, to bring the restorative power of God, to make things the way they ought to be. And that work starts here. In God bringing people back to life. All of that work, all of that teaching culminated in his death and resurrection. So why is it not finished yet? Notice verse one. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus, and then what's the word? All that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is Jesus is not done working and Jesus is not done teaching, but his work continues. He continues to advance the Father's worldwide plan of restoration. How is he doing that? Well, look at verse four. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Now notice a couple things about these two verses, verse four and five. First of all, notice that each member of the Trinity is mentioned. God's mission to send and save refers to the triune God and his mission to send and save. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all part of this restoration that's taking place. But Jesus tells them to stay in Jerusalem because the Father's promise is going to come. And what's the Father's promise? That they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptized means to be washed. He says, John came, he was baptizing with water. We'll talk more about that later in the book of Acts because it comes up a couple of times. And he says, but you're gonna be baptized now with the Holy Spirit. This is the same thing that John predicted. Uh, Listen to Luke chapter three, verse 16. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that will happen in Acts chapter two. This is God's plan all along for the Holy Spirit to come and wash us. What does that mean? What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit or to be washed by the Holy Spirit? The good news is, I don't have to answer that question today because that's what the book of Acts is for. It's one of the things it does is help us learn what that means. So we'll look at that as we go. But just to summarize briefly here, one of the things that it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is what the Apostle Paul says in Titus chapter three. He says this, it's, This baptism is a washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's a washing of regeneration. That is, it's it's making us alive. And it's a baptism of renewal. That is, it's restoring us to something. Uh, I lost my place. Uh, Verse six, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our savior. So the washing of the Holy Spirit is intended to make us new, to restore us. In other words, God's restoration power that will take place at the end of time when Jesus returns and all things are made right. 
that restoration power is breaking in in a tangible way now in the present through the Holy Spirit for all who believe. Doesn't mean that every single problem that we face is solved. This is simply a foretaste or you might say a sample of what is to come. But God's restoration power at the end of time is breaking into the present now through the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, when it was prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come, what follows is the restoration of all things. And that is why the disciples ask this question in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel? The the kingdom to Israel at this time. Why do they ask that question? Because they know now that Jesus is the king who has come, who is going to bring about the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to be the one who restores. Why do they know that? Because of what he did and what he taught. They were there for it. You can be too by going to read the gospel of Luke. So they saw all of that and they saw his death on the cross and they saw his resurrection and they experienced it with many convincing proofs. It says, literally they ate breakfast with him. You know, he didn't come to prove his resurrection with some kind of, you know, philosophical argument. He ate breakfast with them. You don't even have to go to college to get that one. And so he's doing that. They've witnessed that, what he's done and what he's taught. And now he's saying that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And so they're like, great. The restoration is about to take place. Is now the time? And how does Jesus answer their question? Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority. In other words, no, now's not the time. The full realization of this restoration power is not yet. But then verse eight, Jesus says, but yes, but yes. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Restoration kind of power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus answers their question with a no and a yes. No, it's not the full thing. No, the kingdom is not fully here. No, all things are not going to be restored right now. But yes, my work of restoring, my work and my teaching is still going to advance through you who go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter three, Peter shows up, he's preaching a sermon and he says, we got to proclaim these things until the restoration of all things. We'll look at that in a few weeks. But here's the idea. Here's the main point. This is the bottom line. Jesus is advancing the Father's worldwide plan of restoration by sending the Spirit-empowered church to the ends of the earth. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God. He showed glimpses, glimpses of it 
in what he began to do and teach while he was on the earth. This all culminated in his death and resurrection. He's now, next week we'll look, he's going to ascend to the Father so that he can reign from headquarters in heaven over this new kingdom work. And he's deploying the spirit-empowered church to the ends of the earth to continue advancing the Father's promise, his plan of restoration. That's what the book of Acts is about. Jesus is advancing the Father's plan of restoration, his worldwide plan of restoration through the spirit-empowered church by sending them to be his witnesses all over the world. The church, that means, is the spirit-driven vehicle in the world today where Jesus continues to advance the Father's worldwide plan of restoration. So, God's mission is to send and save. Here's a question for you. Are you a witness of that? Are you a witness of that? Are you a witness of the fact that God is bringing his kingdom to the earth? The first way that you can be a witness of that is by experiencing his restoration power in your own heart. Have you done that? The way that you do that is simple. We sang about it. You don't Say to yourself, man, if, uh, I'm going to daydream about how I could clean myself up so that what, someday I could be fully restored into this person. Instead, you stop and you say, the only requirement is to know I need restoring. That's what repentance is. It's you coming to see that my attempts to make the world my way don't work. I need God to do something for me. My attempts to do things my way have, have resulted in me ultimately rebelling against God, competing with God. And I deserve to pay for that. But God is graciously coming to me in his son, Jesus, by the spirit, as the word is proclaimed even now to plead with you repent and be forgiven. Have you experienced that? Repent of your sins, change your mind about them and trust in Jesus. He was crucified and he was raised so that you can be raised, so that you can be restored. And someday he will return to restore all things. Trust in him. Are you a witness of his restoring power? Another way that you could evaluate, are you a witness to his restoring power, is to be water baptized. We have a baptism service coming up on February 12th. It's in about a month. If you've experienced this restoration power, have you gone public with that? Water baptism is a picture of the Spirit's baptism of bringing us from death to life. February 12th would be a great day for you to do that. Another question you could ask yourself, are you a witness of God's mission to send and save? Is, are you living as a witness in this world? 
What might that look like? I think it might start by you and by me beginning to try to follow Jesus in his kingdom teaching. To love our enemies, to be generous with our resources, to not fear the things of this world, to become servants, to practice hospitality, and to consistently repent of our sins and explain the message of his forgiveness to the people we encounter. Those are the kinds of witnesses that we want to be. What we're going to see in the book of Acts is that the kingdom of God comes in a sample size way to the community of God. And the community of God is then sent to the ends of the earth. Would that happen here? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to bring the kingdom of God to us. God, thank you for sending your spirit to empower us, to wash us. God, I ask that you would help us Help us to be people who embody your kingdom, who live according to your kingdom ethic, your kingdom values. God, help that to be true of this church. God, would this be a place that looks and feels like you? And God, would we be obedient to go to the ends of the earth, It's in Jesus' name I ask, amen.